Hello, I'm Andrew Monroe, and this is Drinking with Freelancers. Today, I am joined by the extraordinary and wonderful Andre Spiteri. Hello, Andre. Hello. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, good. You are a fintech copywriter based yep. in, in Edinburgh. Have a sort of a very long and storied history of how you got into doing that. But the first thing I would like to ask you about is what you're drinking today. So I am drinking Aldi Berry Tea, which is this uh, red concoction with the tea bag in. It's, uh, it's all right, actually. Reason I drink it is that, first of all, um, I'm already on three mugs of coffee and I'm kind of jacked up. You can't read. I mean, I do. So I, I do this thing, right, where I, I grind my own beans and then I, um, I brew them on the stove. And I think that you're supposed to just pour a bit of that and mix it with hot water, but I just pour the whole thing. Um, so I'm probably drinking like one mug of coffee is like equivalent to maybe four or five of the recommended dose. So yeah, anyway. You you make your coffee on the stove? Sorry, this is this is a new thing yeah. for me. Uh, in the part of the world where I'm from, everyone has a like a percolator for making their coffee. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's what it is. No, the percolator, you put that on the stove. Oh, I don't think I know about these. I didn't know you could get stove percolators. Yeah, of course. They are yeah, all very, all very wanky, right? Um, but it's worth it, better than instant. Um, so anyway, I was saying, yeah, I had too much coffee. It's also too early for beer. And I have lemonade, but it's flat. So I'm left with Aldi Berity, but it's all right. I mean, I like it. Yeah, at the time of recording, this is, I guess, a little bit uh, much earlier in the day. It's what, about 3 p.m. where you are? Yeah, about 3 p.m., yeah. 10 a.m. where I am. So I, I'm drinking, of course, I'm drinking Yorkshire tea. I should hope so. I should hope you're not having the heavy-duty stuff, yeah? What, what would the heavy-duty stuff be in this case? That I don't know of many black teas that are much stronger than Yorkshire. No, I mean alcohol. Oh, alcohol. Yeah, 10 a.m. is, it's, I, I felt it was just maybe a little bit early, wait at least until lunchtime if, if I feel the, the need to start drinking something yeah. harder. Unless you're camping, yeah? That's the rules. Yes, or it's, or, or it's champagne for breakfast, of course. Yeah, box fizz, and mimosas. Yeah, those are the rules. Brunch, camping, and yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. Christmas, I think we, I think there's there's rules around. Uh, but that's kind of, I guess, I mean, you know, you're in a room full of family. You have to drink. It's a, it's excuse, it's excuse. You you forget them. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's just like it's not just that you have to drink. You you feel the the great need to drink, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to. Otherwise, it's. It gets a bit much, yeah? Yeah. So you've been a freelance copywriter for, I'm trying to remember, I think, I don't know if you've ever told me how many years you've been doing this for. Well, I will have been doing it full time um, for six years in November. Okay, as a freelancer, right? Yeah, freelancing full time, yeah. So yeah, it's been a while. It's actually the uh, longest job I've ever had in my adult life. Actually, my whole life. I guess quite something, actually. Because before that, you were actually working in you you do you do financial technology copywriting now. But before, you were actually working in finance. Yeah, so uh, I worked in finance for 
about nine years. Before that, I uh, used to teach English, ESL English, so to students. And before that, uh, yeah, I did a, a variety of odd jobs. And so night receptionist, which I quit when they made me turn my goatee, harbinger of things to come. Um, I guess it was a, at the time, I mean, I, I wouldn't really have called it a goatee. It was literally four, four pubic hairs sticking out of my chin, but. Um. <laughs> so very yeah. much, very much would change for, for people that, that can't see you. You have a full and rich beard today. Well, not really rich. Um, I mean, it's not in debt, but uh, it's not rich. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say that was a fairly impressive beard. You've clearly put a lot of time and effort into that. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Uh, the secret of a beard is not to put any effort in it. Because if you do, that's where you ruin it. You know? in, in my view, like, so there are two mistakes that people make when they try to grow beards. And they're all down, it's uh, um, having the jawline too high or the cheekline too low. And it's basically down to the same mistake, which is over grooming. You have to leave it alone. You know, it sounds easy doing nothing, but it's actually very difficult because you have to wait. That's the only way to grow a beard, waiting. Well, for me, I find always the, the first month is always the hardest because that's when it itches and you feel the, the need to do something with it because your face feels so uncomfortable. Yeah, it does. But also, you know, resisting the temptation to, to kind of shape it and all that. You've got to wait. But in the meantime, do you use um, treatment? I, one of the things growing beards sort of, sort of relatively recently in my adult life, but I learned that all kinds of things about my skin like the need to use like beard oil and stuff so that yeah so that yeah. like the hair and the skin stay healthy and comfortable while you're growing it out the most important thing as i said is time a beard takes about three months to establish itself it's like hair right if you're constantly shaving your hair every day it gets rough right so you need a time for it to kind of settle down establish itself um so that's the first thing so it's not touching it and giving it time but other than that i mean it's a fairly straightforward routine it's like barber trim every four weeks or so shampoo conditioner beard oil every day and a brush that's really it and uh, re redoing you know going over uh, the cheek line and the jaw line once a week that's pretty much it and there you have it everybody the andre spateri guide to beard care <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the biggest thing about it is patience even if you know when you when you're doing your your cheek line or your or your jawline i mean nine times out of ten chances are that every so often you're going to fuck up and uh, maybe you know take off too much take off too little or maybe take off a hair you shouldn't have taken off and that's the hard part of maintaining a beard which is that when you make a mistake you do not shave it off or you do not you know keep digging your hole you leave it and it'll grow back I feel like this is some kind of great like analogy for freelancing as well, because so much of what we do is you got to make a mistake and then you got to immediately move on from it. You got to just, yeah, like, yeah. you got to, you got to put it out. You got to, you got to put out that blog post. You got to get to that deadline and then you got to just move on from it and, and then, then resist the, as you're saying, is like, don't mess with it. Don't, don't, don't fuck with it. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just move on and get on to the next thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, otherwise you you never get anything done. And you know, I mean, there's a there's a host of things 
variables, I guess, which is which can affect how well you can do a job. It's the subject matter itself, the uh, limitations of the format, your mood that day, how good the brief is, what the client will or will not go with, uh, what the client will do to your copy after you you're done with it. Um, you know the quality of the feedback. So I guess the way I see it, you know, you can only you, you can. It's always a uh, a snapshot in time, right? Uh, I guess as long as you've done your best under the circumstances, that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And your for your stuff, especially for your specialization in, in financial tech, there's a lot of complex nuances, language, and ways of describing things that just don't exist in other other areas of marketing. Uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, the the secret to it is that is understanding that in reality, there's a lot of jargon which nobody understands and nobody really knows. And I, I'll tell you what I mean. I remember at one point getting this brief where there were some things I couldn't really understand what they meant. So I said, you know, before I get started on this, uh, I'd better get on a call and get some clarity. So I get on this meeting and there are multiple people on this uh, on this call and nobody could agree what that term meant, meant different things to different people. So I guess, you know, somebody just made it up, threw it out there and nobody really knew what it meant. So I guess, you know, you don't have to be intimidated because nine times out of 10, uh, nine times out of 10, it's also a, um, I mean, I've worked in corporate, right? And this jargon is also a uh, an intimidation tactic in the sense that if I am in a leadership role and I don't want people to question me, I've, I've seen it happen in jobs where, uh, you know, people just throw jargon out there. And the reality is that you don't want to be the one who speaks up because then you get, if it's something obvious um, and somebody, and you're the one who questions it, um, you're going to, to be the one who gets ridiculed, right? So a lot of words have actually no meaning, but because everybody's scared to challenge them, they just take on a life of their own. It's a little bit like the, the fear of saying that the emperor has no clothes, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly, this is exactly it. I mean, obviously this doesn't apply to everything. There is jargon that has meaning and that are actually technical terms, but many buzzwords, I feel, are words that kind of have taken a life of their own and nobody really knows exactly what they mean and they mean different things to different people. And uh, it's mainly because people are afraid to question them. So, you know, my advice is don't be intimidated because if you don't know, rest assured that many others probably don't either. And I feel like that's a really important lesson in finance because this is yeah. people's money we're talking about. They absolutely should know exactly what's happening to it. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality, you know, I mean, you hear a lot of, for example, uh, these days, there's this hot topic, which is embedded finance, and you ask five different people uh, that probably come up, uh, they will either, you know, they will either misconstrue part of it or explain only a bit of it, uh, because these terms, you know, when they get trendy, they take a life of their own. And I guess, you know, you really need to dig deep and try to understand. But knowing this means that, you know, you don't need to get intimidated because reality is, it's not you that's finding it difficult. The reality is that there isn't maybe enough clarity around certain things to begin with. 
you, you got me. I've just thought about like what could embedded finance mean. I honestly have no idea. Oh, but you do. I do. You do. You've used embedded finance. Okay. Have you ever got an Uber? Yes. That's embedded finance. So it's where the the point of sales is embedded into the is like part of the software. It's part of the user journey. So it's like when you're when you're on Amazon and uh, they offer you a buy now pay later loan. That's embedded finance. So all it means is that the 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 point of sale system is just integrated into the overall buying experience. Yeah. So instead of going to the bank, they put it in front of you uh, at the point where it makes most sense, which is in this case, you know, you're buying, making a large purchase on Amazon. So what 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 more sense to offer you a loan at that stage instead of waiting for you to say, you know, oh, can't afford this. Let me call up the bank. That's a fancy name, and you know there are people that. There are people who confuse it with white labeling, which is you know it's partly white labeling, but it's not exactly white labeling. Uh, but anyway, you, you you get my drift, right? It's uh, a lot of because there's a few there's a few companies that tend to dominate that kind of point of sale, like like Square and Stripe are the two that immediately come to mind that you find or Shopify you find or I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, to my mind, the biggest Players probably Klarna, yeah, because they do. They basically have just one product, which is a buy now pay later loan. And I mean, now they have like a one billion market cap, and they're huge. Right. Yeah, because it was all about saying like, oh, you don't pay for this now. Make four equal payments of. No, they yeah, huge, bigly, right? But that, but that's really cool, and I I feel like it's really refreshing sometimes just being able to call it like we come up especially in complex topic areas we come up with these big long words that are really just a convoluted way of explaining what are actually relatively simple ideas yeah and you know what i mean i don't know if you realize but as humans i feel like we have a tendency to kind of come up with our own language at times and this kind of language is intelligible unintelligible to outsiders and i'll tell you what i mean i mean my wife and i case in point We've got, you know, a lot of words that would mean nothing to other people, which we say between us, and they're products of, you know, past experiences or running jokes or that sort of thing. And I'm sure you have that with your friends as well. You know, you refer to things that, in ways that maybe others who are not part of your your friend group do not understand. You know, I mean, corporates are made of people too, so this happens in corporates as well. So you've got, as part of the culture in the company, you know, you start. Referring to things a certain way, and when you live in that bubble, you kind of you forget that maybe someone who isn't privy to, to 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 the way you speak and to the way you do things will not understand. Um, so that's why it's important to you know take a step back and maybe challenge certain things which you feel at first glance do not really make sense. Uh, we do the same in copywriting. There's been at least a few times since I've started where I've talked to a client and used the term that usually more acronyms than actual jargon, but like the saying like saying CTA yeah. and then saying, what do I mean? What Okay, then having the client being like, oh, what's that? And it's like, oh, it's a call to action. And then understanding the call to action is actually really not a particularly human way of explaining the moment at which you ask someone to buy or consider buying something. 
Yeah, because you know, I mean, these things are useful. They're like shorthand, um, uh, you know, maybe they're part of a running joke or, you know, memory or some sort of something that sticks. But you have to be mindful of the person that's going to read, depending on them, they'll either expect it and feel it's weird if it's not there, or they'll be, you know, what? What are you on about? And what are you on about isn't the reaction you're, you're after, right? So you have to be mindful of that. Yeah, because as soon as somebody doesn't feel, it feels unsure, then you've... Yeah, you've lost them. The whole the whole process, yeah, the whole process of what you do, what you can do for them is that much harder at that point. Right. Grab me a little more tea. Drink your tea, drink your... We're um, going to take a, a brief break. Will we be back after... Topped up tea, and Andre has switched to water, having now been incredibly caffeinated. Yeah, um, and uh, Aldi berry tea. And Aldi berry. Oh, so the the Aldi the berry tea is not caffeinated at all, then. I don't know what's in it. Honestly. I don't know. It just tastes. It just tastes. <laughs> Maybe good. I should. Uh, I don't know yeah. what this does. <laughs> exactly. I like it. I'm going to keep like drinking that. it. But yeah, on on the break, you made a, a mention of. We were talking about your photography blog post right uh, and i mean i can identify with that right because uh, when you slave on something for so long you just want the smelly thing to go away right uh, eventually uh, but yeah i was saying i mean it's it's normal because you you work a lot on something um and eventually you lo- you lose all perspective right um well, it's kind of a law i kind of find that if i read something through and, and i say oh this is utter shite it will normally come back uh, with minimal or no amends. And uh, normally I'll read it, you know, two, three months later, I'll say, yeah, not too bad. But then when I when I read something back, I'm like, ah, oh, it's actually not bad. Chances are it's going to, you know, they're going to rip it to shreds. <laughs> so it's kind of a uh, kind of a law there. Or, or nobody will read it at all. Like it was yeah, just- Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you've, you've got a quite, you've had a, you have a, had a fairly busy life. You've recently i want to say had a had a child in march 2020 well i guess fairly recently there's been a uh, year and a half oh 2020 uh, uh my, my kid's going to be born there's going to be no pandemic coming and then what like three weeks later it's yeah well i mean you could see it coming so i remember at the time uh, my wife was due you know I, I remember going to the gym and being like ah, should i go to the gym should I keep going? Because there was kind of word. Uh, but I remember when we when we got to hospital, all all they did when they uh, when they got us in into into the birthing suite was like, "Have you been to China in uh, the past three months?" And it's like, you know, of course we haven't been to bloody China uh, in the past three months. Like, uh, my wife is literally giving birth now, right? Can't tra- can't travel after thirty two weeks. I want to say. So, no, we haven't been to China, which is ridiculous when you think about it now, right? Because now we're all masks and, uh, I mean, my sister had her second baby in April and uh, my brother-in-law couldn't be in there um, until she was like a certain amount of centimeters dilated or or something like that, which again is ridiculous because, I mean, he literally drove her there and then he can't go in. 
Really? And then, go, and then she's going to, to go home where he lives, you know, so it doesn't really make sense. But anyway, that's another thing. But yes, when, when I think back, it's very weird because, you know, March 1, here we are, no masks. COVID precautions being, have you been to China in uh, the past three months or whatever, you know? And then suddenly, I remember like five days later, um, you know, we had a, we actually had a photographer come in to do like a, a newborn shoot. Um, and then we went out to grab some lunch um, and that sort of thing. And after that, suddenly, you know, it's lockdown. Everybody's closed, can't go anywhere. Very disconcerting. Yeah, and I feel like that was back when people didn't, we didn't really understand a whole lot about what was going on. Like, I remember going out for a walk in April after like the first lockdown had set in. Like, I'd never seen like the main, there's a main like street of shops like a few blocks away from where I live. And I've never seen it so empty. Like on one hand, it was like, it's great. I can finally walk along here and I don't have to walk yeah. around people or anything. It's It was that, but it was so, I think, surreal. And then I think we started to all sort of learn a little bit more about what this virus was and how it behaved. And then things changed. Well, the writing is on the wall, isn't it? I mean, you know, cases are rising. It's just that, you know, people have gotten tired of it. But this is not the sort of problem that is going to go away, is it? You can still get it. I mean, I actually had, um, we had a scare because we adopted two kittens and this was before we, we adopted them. We went to went to visit them. And I remember, you know, the lady we were adopting from, she said, um, my daughter's sick. She's in the living room and she slept, she slept in front of the TV, right? And she was all cocky, you know, because uh, she'd been double jabbed. Um, so no mask uh, whatsoever. I mean, I was wearing a mask, but anyway, no mask, no social distancing because she's double jabbed and all that. And anyway, five days later, she's, you know, messages us, texts my wife and she's like, um, yeah, my daughter tested positive for COVID and we all tested positive for COVID. You better go get tested yourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, as I said, double jabbed, you know, very, very cocky because uh, double jabs, so I don't need to wear a mask and haven't been anywhere. Yeah, it's just crazy. The point is that if you double jabbed, you're less likely to end up in hospital and that's kind of the thing. The problem is, as I understand it, is that not enough people are vaccinated. So that's the issue. So I, I wanted to ask because I don't think I've ever had uh, the opportunity to ask about like like ways that you spend your time when you're not actually talking about copywriting um, because that's <laughs> usually that's usually the context it's well honestly these days I'm pretty boring honestly because how do I spend my time working worrying about work well parenting cleaning is a big part of parenting cleaning up all the fur from the from the new cats right well no not the not the cats um, but uh, my daughter's going is going through a uh, cleaning phase what that means is that i don't know she'll uh, she'll put her hand in a in a jar of in a jar of sauce or a jar of cream and she'll just smear it across somewhere and then you know she'll she'll get a sponge and she'll just rub it into the surface because she's cleaning well that's that's really fascinating <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean that's what they do that's what kids do 
So it's also the reason I'm kind of trying to cut down on swearing as well. Your 18-month-old daughter doesn't hear this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't speak yet, but she kind of makes sounds that are similar to our intonation and that sort of thing. So I kind of been trying to cut down um, on that. And well, I guess, uh, you know, I watch Netflix a lot, read quite a fair bit. Uh, that's, yeah, that's basically me. So uh, fairly mundane, unfortunately. Well, there's not, nothing particularly wrong with that. And I guess like the benefit, at least based on what you do, is that you don't really have to go anywhere in order to continue to work because every, everybody finds you online at this point. And I guess, you know, I, I run as well, even though ever since the pandemic and I had to cancel my uh, my, my gym membership, uh, I've got, it's kind of been very stop-start. Um, I, I, did, I did do a half marathon in May and I'm doing one in September, but yeah. The, is there a lot of good places to run in Edinburgh? For my training, I mainly run around here where I live. Uh, we've got a lot of cycle paths. So uh, I run there, it's, it's quite nice actually. So I can go down by the river and I, go, I can go down by the Firth of Forth, um, uh, which is down here in the Grammon Island and all that. It's actually fairly nice. That's kind of my, also my route because I've, last year, obviously, all my marathons were uh, virtual. So you pick your own, your own path and that sort of type thing. But yeah, I'm lucky enough to, you know, that's what nice, what's nice about Edinburgh, that it's a city, but it's also very leafy. There's a lot of green space, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of room to roam. So it's, uh, yeah, that's fairly nice. I'm trying to remember, you've been in, you moved to Scotland from Malta. I, mo I moved to Scotland from London. Yes, not a year in London. And then I uh, moved here. I'm going on six years here, I believe, in Edinburgh. Quite a long time, actually. So yeah, I lived a year in London. Um, I do kind of miss the uh, hustle and bustle of London, but uh, I kind of think you like the idea of living in London more than you actually like living in it, if that makes sense. And and it seems to me that you asked that that move seems to have also lined up just as like you were finding the groove with your freelance life, if I've got the timeline. Yeah, so I moved, uh, I think when we moved to Edinburgh, I, ha I, I just had my best of a month income-wise freelancing, uh, which was, which is nice, you know, because I mean, Edinburgh isn't expensive, people say. Personally, my benchmark is London and compared to compared to London, it's, it's practically free. Everywhere is, everywhere is cheaper if you use London as your benchmark, right? Yeah, also, you know, compared to Malta, the UK is cheaper to live. There's also that, you know, mentally. That's why I don't find Edinburgh to be particularly expensive. Is that just, I, I'm curious to know that about Malta, is it just a consequence of having had, having to bring everything into a little island? Yeah, yeah. So for example, I, I spend a fraction of what I used to spend on groceries. So I regularly used to spend like 600, 700 pounds a month on groceries. And it was just, it was just me and my wife at the time. That's a lot. Now we spend maybe, you know, it's, Three of us, we spend maybe 300. That's really significant. Yeah, it is. And uh, same with, you know, water is really expensive in Malta. Tap water isn't fit to drink. So you need to buy, you, you, you need to buy bottled water. And it's like a six pack is like five quid. Whereas here it's like, I think for water, 
we pay like 170 pounds a year for tap water. Is that just a lack of like bodies of fresh water on Malta? Yeah, there are no rivers, there are no rivers, no lakes, no reservoirs. So all the, the tap water is reverse osmosis. So it's disgusting, you don't you don't drink it. It's like desalinization from directly out of the Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's very expensive. I remember I had uh, um, my, my water tank broke uh, one time uh, and it was leaking for a for one night because then my my upstairs neighbor realized and closed it for me because uh, I didn't obviously I didn't realize because I lived on the uh, ground floor and my bill just for that one night came up to like 300 pounds just because I had a water leak it's, it's yeah water is very expensive same with you know clothes and uh, like a plain t-shirt is like 50 quid I mean they are you know people travel agencies arrange tours in Malta to the UK sales. There are there are actually vacation tours to, to the UK sales in London. And the people literally come just to buy clothes because they're cheap. I mean, you know, clothes here is are practically free. This is the most pairs of trousers I've ever I've ever owned in my life uh, <laughs> at this point. Move to Edinburgh, become a freelancer, buy trousers. Yeah, exactly. Andre's professional life in a, in a couple sentences. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying some things aren't expensive here. For example, uh, car insurance is obscene here. Council tax. I don't get the bloody point. Why am I paying for people to pick up my trash? You know, don't really get that. The uh, housing market is completely broken. Not that the uh, not that the Maltese housing market isn't broken, because it is. But it's, uh, it's more of a buyer's market in the sense that the way the system works, you negotiate down. Whereas here you have to offer more. Kind of a, it's kind of a mindfuck for me, you know, because I should be negotiating this down, not offering over asking, you know, it doesn't really compute. Yeah, it's um, certainly, it's certainly the same way in Canada. They, yeah. We've been making new, we make news in this country for just how like overheated our housing market here is. So I've heard, yeah. yeah. So I've heard. I mean, I, I guess probably we're getting there, you know, I kind of regret selling my house before moving here but at the time the reasoning was you know don't have a job no idea what i'm going to do so i'd better you know start from zero instead of minus my mortgage payment yeah that's fair but like here, here you are you made it work well yeah i guess when you don't have a uh, plan b kind of lights a fire under your ass does it so you you made that move without really necessarily having a plan was it just what was the motivation behind that? Well, well, you know, I was unhappy. It's kind of a uh, midlife crisis kind type thing. And this was when you were still in London, right? No, this was uh, when I was back home. No, it was in London, it was different motivations. In London, it was the Brexit referendum uh, that really did it. Kind of, you know, the uh, atmosphere changed overnight. Uh, yeah, and you kind of don't feel comfortable anymore. And uh, anyway, my, you know, my wife got an opportunity uh, here in Edinburgh, so we kind of said, you know, I don't really have to be in London for work. Might as well. And we'd visited before on holiday and we'd liked it. And, uh, you know, we were like, let's move. Honestly, at first it was an adjustment. I mean, I remember, you know, we'd go out for drinks to have, you know, maybe one too many. And on our way home, we'd be like, what have we done? You know, take me away. What have we done? Where are we here? But no, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd go back, honestly. Because as I said, I think you like 
you like the idea of living in London, but you don't really, the practicalities aren't especially great. You're not, yeah, you feel like you're not the first person to have, there's something about living in the big smoke, the, the really big cities that I feel like it's, it gets hard, it's hard on people. Yeah, I mean, look, I was in London uh, three weeks ago, I think. So I had some time to kill, ordered a beer. 650, what the fuck, man? It's not even a nice beer. But it's the, the expense and uh, actually to reference something that Emma mentioned on, on her recording before this was how in London, everyone's sort of on their way to somewhere else and you need to keep moving and not get in the way and... Yeah, I mean, you know, you when you move out, it's a bit disconcerting. I mean, I remember, I'll tell you the story, right? I'm not an especially friendly guy, uh, but you know, you're on, you're on the bus or wherever, and you make eye contact with someone, I mean, you smile, what else do you do, right? And I remember like being on the tube or something, and somebody would, you know, may, you'd accidentally make eye contact and I'd smile. People would be like, what the hell's wrong with this guy, right? By the end of it, year later, and I remember somebody smiled at me on the subway. I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? Everybody gets on the tube, they all crowd together, nobody yeah. looks at anybody, just trying to mind your own business and get along, get along, right? But then you get used to that, because then, you know, I moved to Edinburgh, nobody forms an orderly queue on the pavements. Um, right. You don't have that thing where, like in London, if you're going one way, you, you walk on one side of the pavement, and if you're going the other way, you walk on the other side. And everyone here, everyone's just, you know, walking wherever, you know, people talk to you on the bus and people speak, speak with you on conversations on the bus stop. Um, and at first it's, you know, it's disconcerting. It's like, fuck do I do? Especially when uh, you just arrived from London, right? Where it's the complete opposite. Nobody talks to you and... But uh, then you kind of get used to it, I guess. It's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a city, but this community spirit but at the same time you know i'm i mean i'm from a place where it's it's small and very crowded and nobody minds their own fucking business um, and you're always somewhere where there's somebody who knows somebody is either related to you or knows somebody who's related to you uh, it's impossible to be anonymous malta's only so big in, in my country because it's like 312 square kilometers not much room to go. So I kind of value anonymity. But at the same time, it's like in London, the, that anonymity goes way too far, if that makes sense. It's one extreme and the other. So it was a really, really big shift for you from, from going from somewhere where nobody knows, everyone knows everything about everyone to nobody knows anything about anyone to Edinburgh, which but halfway in between. Which is nice, you know, because, I mean, at first it's liberating. You, you can do whatever whatever you bloody want. Nobody's going to comment or tell a relative who's going to disapprove it. You know, heard you were drunk, at a, uh, you know, or, or so, something of, the, of that sort. But at the same time, it's, uh, I mean, you're just a number. And it's hard, to, it's hard to make friends in a place where, I mean, as Emma said, you know, everybody is either going somewhere or they're temporarily, so it's a uh, difficult, tough place. It's very transient. Well, just I guess the last thing I always ask everyone before they go is you've been at this for a while, you've been in Edinburgh, you've been a, uh, a fintech copywriter for a while. What what are your, your plans for the future? Or what, what are you hoping to do more of in the next year? 
earn more, work less. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say that? Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really want more than that. Yeah. All right. Well, Andre, thank you very much for, for being here. Thanks for having me. Enjoy this. Good to have a chat. Thank you all very much for listening. If you like this, I invite you to subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. Also, if you would like to leave feedback or comments, you can reach me on social media, on Twitter at A-G-M-O-N-R-O, and search for me on LinkedIn with Andrew Monroe. Thanks very much. Bye.